G'day humans, what's good work? Chris Funder here, folks, ready to wounds for another edition of Wrestling All Style. The Fallout Down Under. Alex, you chose the documentary this month. Uh, care to explain why? Well, um, that was my Hawk impression. Um, I just, I, I used to have this Road Warriors DVD. Um, actually, I still got it back in my parents' house somewhere, but, you know, this whole thing with road warrior animals recent passing it um got me a bit sentimental so i kind of just felt like watching this again to see if it sort of holds up and yeah this was a good opportunity to do it and talk with the humans about it yeah absolutely um a really good choice i don't think i've seen this one before because it was released around the time where i wasn't watching yeah i think this came out about oh five yeah, June 14, 2005. So we're talking Road Warriors, the life and death of the most devastating tag team in history. Wow, a long title. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, some, of, some of the way, uh, some of the production of this documentary has sort of aged poorly, just with the tacky music and, like, it, it felt very 2005 at times. Because, like, oh, nowadays, because yeah. you compare it to, like, the documentaries they do nowadays, and it's just so slick and crisp. But, yeah, it's it's great. I look forward to talking about this. So I think we should just dive straight in. Okay, so they open with an in-memory photo of Road Warrior Hawk, who passed away in 2003. Um, Animal then starts talking about how they grew up in Chicago before moving to Minnesota meeting Hawk in Ventura's gym, then moving to a new gym, saying that Kurt Hanging, Rick Rude, Demolition, the Berserker, as well as NFL Viking players and some of the USA Olympic team all went to that same gym. They show, they show Smash and John Laurinaitis talking about the Road Warriors' gym dedication, saying they would almost be there six days a week. Yeah, that's not surprising at all, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> like have a look at the dudes like yeah and like this is just that crazy thing where like yeah you got Hennig rude uh demolition smash and the road warriors all sort of coming up together all at the same time just all doing the exact same things on their way to the top in the exact same business it's yeah, just all these awesome coincidences and, like, I could only imagine what it would be like just, like, growing up in that area with the, all these guys around. Yeah, it'd be pretty insane. Um, that animal talks about his time bouncing at various bars, saying there was a few rather shady ones where, for example, he carried a bat uh, at the door at one. There was another one where there were shootings and stabbings. Uh, talks about one bar in particular where Hulk Hogan played bass guitar on stage once. Then talks about watching AWA and being trained by Eddie Sharkey in a church basement boxing ring where the ropes hit the concrete wall. <laughs> to uh, be fair, I'm not going to throw any shade, but rumour has it that there are training places in Australia that apply the exact same methods to this day. <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> um, there was a three-month camp, five days a week, 
Ollie Anderson came to the camp to recruit Hawk and that animal to Georgia Championship Wrestling, starting out as bikers and how the iconic Road Warrior look came about. Now, I'm yeah. sure you knew all this before, but that was interesting to me. Yeah, uh, I'm sure you'd never seen, like, um, Road Warrior Animal and Road Warrior Hawk in, the, in that, like, hat that the bikers used to wear and the cut-off denim jackets and stuff like that. It's really jarring to look at in hindsight. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it, well, Animal even mentions that it's very uh, village people looking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Animal in particular looked exactly like a village people member. But yeah, um, it's cool how their look slowly evolves, though. It's just, yeah, just probably one of the most recognisable looks in wrestling history. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, how they start out with basic face paint and they go to what we'd later see how Hawk's got the one bit over his right eye, a little bit below his left eye. Animal's got the um, full eyes and um, forehead done with the spider, and that sort of became their look that they stuck with for most of their career. Yeah, I always thought Animal's face paint was the coolest thing as a kid. I remember um, one year, you know when you used to go to, like, McDonald's birthdays and you could get your face painted? Yeah. I remember, like, getting, like... Because they could only do, like, certain styles of face paint, and I chose the Spider-Man thing, a Spider-Man face paint, but I forced the person to paint a spider on my forehead. Fair enough. Yeah, I just loved that face paint. I always wanted to be a road warrior. (laughs) Uh, I suppose we can talk about that a bit more at the end. Um, They then talk... uh, there's then clips of Gerald Briscoe, Arn Anderson, and Michael P.S. Hayes talking about their tag team style compared to others in the G in um, Georgia Championship Wrestling and WCW during the 1980s. Yeah. Jim, uh, the, there was just a lot of, like, you know, plain colored trunks and just, you know, technical wrestlers, and then these guys come along. Jim Ross and Jim Cornette talk about how local talent would react learning they'd face the road warriors that night. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, some funny stories there. And King talks about how the time him and Austin Idol face the road warriors, Jerry the King Lawler delivers a pole driver, celebrates to the crowd, turns around and has no effect on Hawk. from there, they talk about the formation of the Legion of Doom, which was the Road Warriors with Paul Ellering, the Spoiler, King Kong Bundy, and Jake the Snake Roberts. Eventually, Jake left for Jim Crocker promotions, and the Spoiler left to return to Canada, leaving only Paul Ellering, who became the full-time manager for the Road Warriors, after he himself had a career, career-ending knee injury. Have you seen much of um, Paul Ellering as a wrestler? I've seen little bits because I went back uh, a couple of years ago and watched a lot of the Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling stuff on the network. 
And you sort of get to see, like, towards the end of Paul Ellering's in-ring career, and dude was just jacked. Like, if like he was tiny compared to a lot of the guys back then, but if he came along, like, in his condition he was in back then today, he'd be a monster. Like... Yeah. Yeah, like, oh... The dude was kind of like a shrunken down, like, uh, superstar Billy Graham or, like, a Jesse Ventura... Or, like, you know, to a certain degree, like, kind of like a Scott Steiner in a sense, like, in terms of, like, his gimmick. Not necessarily the off-the-wall promos, but, yeah. Um, it's a shame that his in-ring career didn't work out, but as he said, he had a premonition. Yes, indeed. Um, so I suppose talking of the six members of the Legion of Doom here, um, Jake's still alive. He's working in... All Elite Wrestling. Um, Paul Elling's alive. He's sort of taken time away. The Spoiler passed away in 2005, I believe. Um, both the Road Warriors have now passed away, and Ken Kong Bundy also has passed away. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the Spoiler, uh, Don Jardine, he actually trained... Uh, a young fella at the time of Mark Calloway, who would go on to become The Undertaker. So that sort of tells you the sort of eye for talent like Don Jardine had. Yes, also spent a time at Festival Hall working for WCW Australia. Exactly, yeah. He's um, a, a guy that, you know, as time goes on, will slowly, unfortunately, get forgotten about just... Because, you know, he's from a time period where there's not that much footage. So, yeah, but this guy's had a huge impact on the business. Then you got, like, guys like Jake Roberts. Like, who doesn't know Jake the Snake? And then King Kong Bundy, like, main evented a WrestleMania against Hulk Hogan. Um, Like, yeah, hell of a faction they had. Do you remember how they said the name came about. Oh, yeah, the Super Friends cartoon show. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, they just got the inspiration from that because, meanwhile, at the Legion of Doom, because uh, that would be like the lair of all the bad guys. Um, yeah, I love that. I love that so much. Oh, well. Uh, joining the NWA, saying how saying how there was a bidding war at the time for the Road Warriors to go between AWA, uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling, and the WWF. The AWA was a promotion they grew up watching and was like a hometown return for them. Wrestling Baron Von Rusky and the Crusher in Las Vegas for the AWA Tag Team Championships, winning them for the first time. I also talked about the connection to the fans. Um, then they talk about how um, WCCW's the free, uh, Fabulous Freebirds came over and faced the Road Warriors, including at AWA Super Clash 85 from Chicago's Kaniski Park, where they painted their faces with the flag of the Confederacy. And then talk 
And then the Road Warriors talk about changing the finish versus the fabulous ones where Vern Gagne wanted them to lose the titles. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a whole section here where they go on about the rebel flag and the Confederate flag and stuff like that, which doesn't age well. But to be fair, at, at least they were heels using it. <laughs> at the time, yes. Yeah. Yeah, um, it doesn't age well, but, you know, there was a time where that flag was somewhat socially accepted in the 80s and some of the 90s. So, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I've seen that fabulous Freebirds versus Road Warriors match before. Um, Yeah, Michael Hayes does a good job of talking about um, it's not the most technical wrestling match in the world, but they must have done something right because there wasn't an empty chair in that arena. So, yeah, that's that's the whole point, I guess. Yeah, and then they sort of allude to the fact they sort of got respect from the locker room when going against Vern Gagne's decision to lose the titles. Yeah. Yeah, um, to be fair, the fabulous ones. Yeah, not that great. <laughs> not that fabulous? No, no. Also, like... I've always had an issue with, like, a tag team being called the something ones. Like, it's two people. How can you be one? I don't know. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, Following that, the Road Warriors left AWA for the NWA territory of Jim Crockett promotions, facing the USSR team and becoming fan favourites they would go on to win the Jim Crockett Senior Memorial Tag Team Tournament, a.k.a. the Crockett Cup, against Ronnie Garvin and Magnum TA. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, this is some stuff that I've definitely watched over the time, over the years. Um, yeah, I've seen a lot of the old Jim Crockett promotion stuff because, you know, it's it's sort of stuff that uh, wrestlers from those days like talk about really fondly. So I like to go back and watch some of that stuff. And yeah, um, the Russian team of um, Crusher Khrushchev, who later becomes Demolition Smash, and Nikita Koloff, who has a pretty good run in WCW. So good back in the day with Ivan Koloff as their manager. Oh, so good. Yeah. Uh, they then talk about the WCW feud of the Road Warriors versus Midnight Express, leading to the scaffold match at Starcade 1986. Hawk had broken his leg three days before in Japan, and the Midnight Fall leading to the Road Warriors' victory, but then Jim Cornette is chased up the scaffold by Paul Arring, and he falls and hurts himself, as the boss man didn't catch him. Um, do you remember what he actually does? Because I went back, like, paused the documentary and loaded it up in a different uh, device to watch him actually fall. Yeah, it has to be, like, either doing, like, uh, ligaments in both knees or dislocating them. One of those two, because, like, the way he lands, he's so stiff-legged that that's the only possible outcome. Cause like, yeah, go on. Cause like he says when he's been carried off, ah, oh, my knees, my knees. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just one of those infamous stories about Boss Man forgetting to catch him. You know, Boss Man had his moments like that, as we've talked about in previous reviews. Very forgetful man. Yeah, yeah, it happens. Oh, man. Uh, they then talk about how the boom in the late 80s, where they'd wrestle at night and then party later all night. Yeah, this was a bit sort of tough to watch in hindsight. Yeah, exactly. But uh, I think it was meant to be sort of jarring to deal with. Um, yeah. Well, it's it's not like it's a big secret anyway. Like, the 80s were a wild time, especially for guys in the, um, Jim Crockett promotions. Yeah. Uh, I then talk about the Horseman's influence on the Road Warriors leading to the rivalry over the world and eventually turning on Dusty Rhodes and attacking him with a spike to the eye, then leaving WCW. See, these yeah. guys were taking out eyeballs before Seth Rollins. Exactly, exactly. Um, I, I actually have very fond nostalgic memories of this Dusty Rhodes getting stabbed in the eye with the spike angle. Not because I was around to watch it, because I think that happened just before I was born. But, like, when I was younger, I had a compilation VHS called WCW's Greatest Grudges, and it had, like, all these awesome things on it. It had um, Sting's first world title win over Ric Flair. It had Magnum TA versus Tully Blanchard. I quit in the steel cage. And it had footage of this um, eye angle. And, like, I was, like, six or seven, like, watching this VHS tape and just being, like, what am I watching? This is gross. This is mental. Because I was just completely sold on it. And Jim Ross just being, like, it's his eye. God. Oh, my God. It's his eye. Um, just, it was just perfect. It was so cool. Uh, from there, they talk about joining WWF in the 1990s as the Legion of Doom on Wrestling Challenge, leading to the rivalry versus Demolition. Demolition was to WW was to WWF as the Road Warriors were to NWA at the time, and this was a first-time meeting. Yeah, unfortunately, this wasn't the original incarnation of demolition as demolition acts it's, uh he got some weird illness where he just basically couldn't wrestle anymore but it was at the time where they brought in a third member of demolition and here we go humans it was crush no my man <laughs> well you could draft him from that tag team I could get three for the price of one there, yeah. Anyway, um, winning the titles from the Nasty Boys in Madison Square Garden, talking about their WWF entrance with Paul Ellering's return. Yeah, um, WrestleMania 8 was another one of those VHS tapes I had at the time, and I remember just like, to this day, I still remember part of that promo off the top of my head. Well, Gene, 
Weaving like a runaway train. Scary, huh? Scarier now. Look who's driving the train. Oh, man, I love that promo so much. Oh, yeah, it's really good. Um, Personally, my favourite entrance of theirs is always going to be Wembley SummerSlam 92. Oh, it's so... It's just so cool, man. They're talking about how they're riding their bikes down. Hawk Park's too close to <laughs> Animal, so Animal yeah. has to go off on the wrong side of the bike and burn his leg, so his tights are stuck to his leg throughout the match. Yeah, man, that would suck. And you can kind of see, just from the footage they shown of that match, like, you can kind of see Animal kind of limp from time to time or sort of walk a little awkward from time to time. Um, yeah. It's, it's not a short match either. <laughs> no, no. And that's not often the case for the Road Warriors. Usually it is a short match, but this was against, like, a top heel tag team in Money, Inc., uh, Ted DiBiase and IRS. Um, yeah, so, yeah, feel bad for the guy. Oh, man. Um, they then talk about the dark side of partying after the shows, where Hawk would disappear for days at a time. When Vince wanted to help Hawk, Hawk refused and left the WWF abruptly. Um, after he left, he went to Japan, taking Kensei Suzaki under his wing to become Road Warrior Power. They took some time off and then reconciled and returned together into WCW. They were there for about six months, trying to negotiate a new contract with Eric Bischoff that never occurred and eventually left. Yeah, um, the, the whole Kensuke Sasaki stuff is just real weird. Yeah, well, I suppose speaking about weird... They returned to the WWF with Sonny as their manager at WrestleMania in 1998 and the return of Paul Allering as a manager but is joining the Disciples of Apocalypse, Disciples of Apocalypse going against the Road Warriors. They then introduce Road Warrior Puke, a.k.a. Droz, who can vomit on cue. Wow. All right. This is where, like, my OCD-ness, like, went nuts because this was a case of the WWE narrative for some reason, which doesn't even make sense to me. Like, when the Road Warriors returned to WrestleMania with Sonny, that was after they had a three-month break from their run in the WWF because they returned to the WWF in February 1997. They had, like, a full year run before, like, going away for a few months and then coming back with Sonny. So that drove me nuts because <laughs> the whole deal was, like, the Road Warriors came back, they helped the um, Ahmed Johnson beat the Nation of Domination at WrestleMania 13, and then uh, they end up feuding with the New Age Outlaws in late 97, the New Age Outlaws, like, shave off the mohawks of Animal and Hawk. Oh, yeah, I remember that now. Yeah, and, like, wipe off their face paint and stuff like that. And 
LOD just go away for a bit and then they come back, you know, with like the crew cuts and the new gimmick and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, which leads to the storyline of Hulk battling his, of Hawk battling his personal demons, leading to him falling off of the Titantron scaffolding. I, I distinctly remember watching that as a kid. And like him falling off the Titantron. Like, I, I don't know. I was a kid. I thought it was legit. <laughs> I thought the dude had just died or something, you know? Like, uh, I had no idea what was going on. The most puzzling bit is that there's, like, barely any follow-up to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Hawk becomes a born-again Christian, cleans himself up, and the LOD returns in 2003 with their last match on Raw being the 12th of May 2003 versus Kane and Rob Van Dam, who were the World Tag Team Champions. Uh, during that time, that's the WWE Red Belt. Yeah, it's like the black strap, but it has like red trim on the title plates. Yeah, it's got a red globe on it. Yeah. Whereas the actual WWE Tag Team Championship has a blue, go- uh, blue globe on it. Yeah, much better titles than what we got now. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about that another day. Um, <laughs> yeah, sort of a, a last hurrah here. Um, yeah, it, it is kind of, it is really nice that they got that one last match for the WWE tag titles before, you know, unfortunately Hawk passes away. It is, like, really cool that they got to do that one last time. I just wish it was, like, against a more, like, timeless tag team than RVD and Kane. Like, like they had the Dudley boys on their roster at the time. Like, if we could have got the Road Warriors versus the Dudley boys just one time before Hawk passed, that would have been amazing. On the 19th of October, 2003... Hawk had spoken to Animal earlier in the day as Hawk was helping his wife move into their new home, unloading heavy furniture. Hawk went to lie down and sadly passed away that day. Yeah, uh, just devastating, man. Like, especially because he'd cleaned himself up so much. He was on the right path and, yeah, it's just... his. uh his dark past sort of caught up with him, unfortunately. Yeah, sort of sadly there that, um, yeah, it sort of all caught, caught up with him there. And Animal makes note that, um, like, when they did the toxicology report uh, from the coroner's office, there was nothing in his system. He was clean. And then they show the uh, Dudley's match on Raw where they've got the... Um, the armbands on with Hawkeran on it, and they do the uh, Doomsday device to win the match. Yeah, there was like a good six-month to maybe even a year period where the Dudley boys had the Dudleyville device. As, oh, that's like, what they ended up calling it. Yeah, uh, I thought it was cool. I always thought it was sweet. Um, yeah. <laughs> It's just one of those things, man, I would kill to see the Dudleys versus the Road Warriors. 
We can't even say it on our fantasy show because we got them on diff- different brands. Well, don't worry. I might have a trade for you coming up soon. Oh, yeah. All right, then. <laughs> Anyhow, um, yeah, some of the tag team titles that they won, like, geez, I've got this in front of you, and this is the show I think you went to. Our generation superstars of wrestling in Australia, three-time tag team champions. Yep, yep, us. I see that on a list I've got in front of me as well. Um, yeah, that's the company. <laughs> How was that match and who were they facing? I believe it was the Nasty Boys, from my memory. And oh, old Knobs and Sag. Yeah, old Saggy Knobs. Um, it was either them or Public Enemy. Because <sighs> Public be Enemy... Public Enemy was there as well because I remember that because like Public Enemy does the whole hands in there and wave them to the side, you know, like the oddities used to do. And we saw footage of like Hawk doing it when he was pretending to be drunk. Um, yeah, but um, like Public, I just remember waving my hands up in the air side to side, having a good time for the Public Enemy. Um, yeah, the whole thing was, like, Road Warrior Animal wrestled the match by himself and then, like, Road Warrior Hawk came down later and, like, made a run-in and make the save to help the Warriors get a win, which was really weird because, like, just like the photo I've posted online of me as a little kid with the Road Warriors, Road Warrior Hawk came out to the ring with no face paint on, just, like, a, a skull cap on and sunglasses. He looks like Macho Man. He looks like Macho Man slash Goldberg. Mm. Like, yeah, like, it was. it's just really weird. But, yeah, rumour has it. He was going through some stuff at that time. Oh, man. Do you want to see the uh, possible matches you would have seen at the time? Okay. All right. Come on. Okay, so our generation superstars of wrestling, this is a perf card that's listed on cage match that wasn't taped. All Opening right. match. Go on. Beefcake versus Typhoon. No, nah, I saw something similar to that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know who either of these two wrestlers are. Sweet Destiny versus Brandywine. Yeah, uh, a couple of bikini models that they made wrestle. Oh, no. Back in that era, you know. Uh, The Road Warriors, Animal and Hawk versus Public Enemy, Johnny Grunge and Rocco Rock for the tag team titles. Yeah, it it was probably Public Enemy I saw him wrestle then. For the... Australasian title, Tatanka versus One Man Gang. Yep, I've got an 8 by 10 that I recently found of Tatanka from the show I went to, and he's holding a title in the 8 by 10 <gasps> Buffalo. So... <laughs> Buffalo. Uh, and in the main event from Perth, Kurt Hanging, Kurt Hanning versus The Barbarian for the world title. Yep. <laughs> Do you want to know what happened 
on the pay-per-view from Sydney. Go on. Uh, opening match, tag team championship double tables match, the Road Warriors versus Public Enemy. Yep. A hardcore match where the Barbarian versus Brute Force. Okay. A singles match, Sweet Destiny with Aussie Joe in her corner, defeated Brandy Wine with Sugar Daddy in her corner. I can, I can only imagine what sort of gimmick Aussie Joe was. <laughs> uh, Is that I'm... like Samoa Joe's like long distance relative? <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Comes out in his blue singlet and his thongs <laughs> and he's got his stubby footy shorts on. Boom, 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 a uh, co-main event was for the Australasian title, One Man Gang versus Tatanka. <laughs> oh, God, you're going to love this. Yeah. For the world heavyweight title, Kurt Hanging, Kurt yeah. Henning, in an Australian Outback match versus yep. Dennis Rodman. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, uh, I saw a match very similar to that. It was a Dennis Rodman versus Kurt Hennig match at the show I went to as well. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, it was legitimately a massive selling point for me, though, as a kid. I was like, i got to go see Kurt Hennig versus Dennis Rodman, Dad. Please. <laughs> Boy, it took... Wait, what happened first, that or Nitro? Probably that, and Nitro came in October. This yeah. This happened around August. Yeah. Oh, see, that was a, another you should have waited. You should have waited for Nitro. I know, I know. But I was a spoiled only child. I, I saw something, I had to have it. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, yeah, so their tag team titles. All Japan Wrestling held the NWA International titles once. AWA held the AWA tag titles once. Uh Georgia Championship Wrestling held the NWA national tag team titles three times. And then Jim Crocker Promotions held the NWA six-man titles a couple of times, twice with Dusty, once with... Who? Janitro Tenru. Are you familiar with him? Uh, is... Um, had a couple appearances in the WWF, but had a fairly lengthy run in New Japan, from my memory. Okay. Uh, yeah. Being the first winners of the Jim Crockett Cup, uh, inducted into the NWA Hall of Fame, as well as the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame Museum. Uh, PWI Tag Team of the Year, 83, 84, 85, 88. Like... Yeah. When's the last time that would have happened for anyone? Yeah, it's um, it's it's just ridiculous. Not only that, um, there's no tag team in wrestling history that has been inducted into more Hall of Fames than the Road Warriors. Really? <laughs> yeah, like the like you said, the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame Museum. The NWA Legends Hall of Fame. I believe they're in the Cauliflower Alley Club. 
yep. the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, the WWE Hall of Fame. Quebec uh, Wrestling Hall of Fame. Yeah, like they're the most, and might even be like no wrestler in at all has been in more Hall of Fames than them. Ranked number one tag team out of 100 best tag teams during PWI 2003. Yeah. Yeah. The, the number one tag team of all time in 03. I, I, I like to think they, they might still be number one if they redid that list in 2020. They'd at least be in the top three, right? They have to be. Yeah, I'd say so. Ooh, yeah, like speaking like of that, they, go on. I'm just on PWI now, and they've released a PWI top fifty tag team list. Yeah, that's a new one. Yeah, it just started this year. Yeah. So, care to take a guess who number one is? I do know who number one is. Do you want uh, to guess anyone else on the list? Uh, the Young Bucks at two. No. So, number one is FTR. Yep. Young Bucks did not make the top ten. Oh, PWI goes off of wins and losses, too. So, I'm going to guess Street Profits at two? Uh, Street Profits is number five. Okay. It is an Uh, AEW team. uh, Hangman and Omega? Yeah. Yeah. You won't get number three, but all I'll give you the hint is it's a women's tag team. Sasha and Bailey? Well done, sir, yes. Yeah, I was I was almost gonna guess them for the number two because I was trying to think back of Yeah, I wasn't too sure if they included women's tag teams, but that's good that they just integrate them all. Uh four was the North, fifth Street Profits, six Gorillas of Destiny, seven Lucha Brothers, eight the New Day, nine the Kabuki Warriors. And ten Rapongi Free K. I forgot all about the Kabuki Warriors. Yeah. Yeah. I think everyone did. Yeah. Poor Kyrie. She'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, just never put her near Nia Jax again. Oh yeah, I forgot all about when that was a thing. Like every few weeks. Yeah. Enjoy that, Lana. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so thing. I'm just looking on here now on the um, awards section. Uh, yeah, since 2003, there has been one, two, three, four teams that have won it twice since 2003. So pretty much in the last 20 years, only four teams have won Tag Team of the Year twice. So, yeah, no one even, like, half of the Road Warriors level. No, and even before that, like, the Steiner brothers won it twice, uh, as well as Harlem Heat. Uh, Since 2003, Team 3D won it twice, the Dudley boys. Uh, Beer Money won it twice, the New Day as a trios, and the Young Bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Arn Tully ever get one? Um, hang on. Because d- by the time period, Arn and Tully might have missed. Yeah. Oh, they got one. 
They got one when they left the NWA and went to the WWF. The Brain Busters, 1989, yeah. Yeah, so they never got one when they were absolutely killing it in the NWA because the NWA tag division was stacked. Road Warriors, Midnight Express, Rock and Roll Express, Art and Tully, like, yeah. Um, Go on. Yeah, from that time period from... Where are we? Yeah, so from 83 through to 91, they feature, the Road Warriors feature in the top four every single year. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, 90, since 83, 94 is the fourth year, uh, 92, sorry, is the first year they don't make the top four. Yeah. Oh, wow. I suppose looking to today's tag teams, is there any sort of tag teams that use sort of any big uh, Road Warriors moves that you'd say? Um, you can't really say so, can you? Like... A few years ago, you could say the Ascension would everything Road Warriors except bad. Um, yeah. Uh, there really isn't any, like, big power tag teams anymore, now that I think about it. Like, at least in the North American scene. None that I can think of, Yeah. Yeah, and that's something um, I miss. That's something that would be good. Just have, like, two big jacked-up dudes just throwing people around. It's not going to give you five stars on the Meltzer system, but it's going to be fun to watch if it's a quick little car crash. I'll tell you where it will give you five stars. The Jim Cornette system. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Um, outside of... AW, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. Um, no, we don't. We, we impact, don't. Like... No, uh, no, they're really more comedy. WWE, not really. No, uh, not at all. Japan, anyone? <laughs> New Japan? No, no, not that I can think of either. Gorillas. Uh, they're not necessarily a powerhouse tag team. They're, they're more smaller sort of technical compared to what I'm thinking of, like just two big jacked up dudes throwing people. Um, yeah, they're more Steiners than the Road Warriors, to be honest. Yeah. Oh, well, I suppose that brings an end to uh, this particular showing. Yeah, what did you think? Yeah, I really enjoyed um, enjoyed watching this. Yeah. I'm glad they've put a lot of this on the network because I remember when it was first out, there was bloody hardly any of these documentaries out. Yeah. The... Yeah, I know. It's really cool, man, because I don't need to go back home to grab all my old DVDs to sort through this stuff of the docos. I think 
I've got an idea for another one too, for when it's my turn to pick as well. Um, yeah, like these docos are fantastic. They're long forgotten about because there's just been a million like more more well produced docos since then. But there's some really good content in a lot of these docos from the mid two thousands. Yeah, that's fair enough too. Um, from there, my friend, we look forward to the next fallout down under on Monday, the 7th of December. Can you reveal to the humans what you have chosen, kind sir? Uh, this is, is this Underworld Wrestling? <laughs> is this that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, the next review is going to be the first two episodes of Underworld Wrestling, which... You can find it on Amazon Prime if you got it like I do. Amazon Prime might be, like, the best, like, streaming service for, like, if you want to watch movies and TV shows. So I highly recommend it to all the humans out there. Um, Yeah, this... uh, Let me read this description of Underworld Wrestling. This is hilarious. Does it say glory to the claw? Wait for it. Oh, gosh. The world's most forbidden secret is finally exposed as the ancient and secretive fight club, Underworld Wrestling, steps out of the darkness and into the glaring lights of the public eye. Criminal organisation The Claw and their master, Lord Mark Williamson, aim to acquire the Underworld Championships. And with them, they bring upon the fabled end of all things to an unsuspecting world. Wrestling! <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> um, you, you want to know the legit reason why I picked this is because the very first scene of oh, the first episode God. features my boy, JXT. But also there's like some gimmicks to these matches that I I really want to discuss about whether you think it works or not. Bloody JXT. Whoops. (laughs) Bloody coming in on the show all the time. JXT this, JXT that. Get out. (laughs) (laughs) No, JXT's a good guy. Yes, yes. Um, Oh, I suppose Melbourne's now open again. He might be training at Relentless. Yeah, he's back doing that. Ah, uh, well. Uh, where can the good humans find you, my friend? At Fruity is Alex on uh, Instagram and Twitter. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at WrestleOzStyle with an AUS. Search us up on Facebook. Search up Wrestling WrestlingOzStyle. That is an AUS for Oz. And where can the good humans find you, kind sir? Yeah, on Twitter at I am Chris Funder as well. You can listen back to the entire Wrestling All Star archive for free on SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Nothing left to say, but good day, and we'll speak to you next time. Wow, what a rash! <laughs>